uh, pick it up if you've got the outline. Uh, so going to pray. Actually, before I pray, I, uh, I need a disclaimer from last week. It was pointed out to me that, like, I, one of my standard things, I, I joke around a lot. Uh, it is just a part of how I am. I think I, uh, as a standard pastor thing, uh, my children frequently end up as topics of sermons, and sometimes they're the target of jokes, and I think I may have picked on them a little too hard last week, and I am apologizing to them, though none of them are paying attention. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not apologizing to you, Jess. Uh, so uh, let's pray in preparation for the message as uh, Abby hands them out. And uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you be with me this morning. Uh, guide my words. Uh, keep me uh, focused on preaching your gospel. Keep me uh, speaking words that glorify you, uh, speaking the truth in love, and most of all, proclaiming and pointing to Christ. I pray that uh, the message that I, I share today, the gospel, the 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 sermon that I prepared, Lord, that it would speak to the hearts of the folks who are here, that people would uh, come to know you more, that they would draw into your presence, uh, that stony ground would be broken and rocks would be picked out of fields as, as seeds are planted. Um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would water the folks who are here and that, that a great harvest would come out of it. And I pray the folks who hear from you, who are nudged or, or convicted, uh, that they would uh, take action, that they wouldn't be people who look in the mirror and forget what they look like, uh, but that they'd be folks who look in the mirror, see the truth of the gospel, look into the scriptures and see the truth of, of who we are and who you desire us to be in Christ and, and bring about new life. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we added a member to our family this week, or two weeks ago? It's two weeks. Three? I, I don't know. Time flies. This is uh, Ivy. Um, what happened was my wife, who was adamant about never getting additional dogs, uh, was in Great Falls with my daughter for a birthday party, and they went to a, uh, just to see puppies at an adoption day, and the we will not get another dog ever again uh, dissolved uh, when Ivy showed up, and uh, now we have Ivy, who is my daughter's dog, uh, and, and she has agreed to do all of the care and all of the feeding, and all of the walking, and all of the cleaning up after, and and um, she's done pretty good about that, except that uh, about 90 hours a week she's not home because of school and whatnot, and so who does it? Mom and dad, which is actually great because Ivy is cute as a button, uh, and I, I right now, like, I'll often walk her during the day or let her out or, or what have you, and uh, I am in the process of teaching her how to walk on a leash, right? And when I first put this thing on her, she was terrified. She hugged the ground and cried. And then I had a clever idea. I took her out with my uh, boxer pit bull, and I used our tether. So I linked them together, and I held on to them, and that didn't work either. Instead, the dog dragged behind the other dog. And so we had a period where Ivy would walk off the leash, except when we crossed highways and stuff like that. Um, and she would follow the other dog, and she did okay, and now she'll walk on the leash. But the new, the new challenge is dogs kind of have to learn to walk on leashes. And so she is routinely, like when the two dogs are on this, I've had them sweep my legs almost every time, multiple times. I've had to stop and untangle dogs. 
I've had to take the leash off, untangle it, and put it back on a couple times. Today I was walking her, and she ran circles around me (laughs) because she has no idea how to operate on a leash. Over time, it will change, right? Over time, she'll grow to understand the leash, and actually, she'll eventually love it. Um, my, My dog, when I pick this up, he jumps up and down, and he cries for joy, and he runs to the door, and he, he won't let me, you know, if I make the mistake of leaving it on the table, I have to wait for him to look away to move it into the cabinet because he gets so excited. But the process of learning to walk with a tether is a big deal. And for a dog, it is, an, it is essential because if the dog is not tethered, lots of bad things can happen. You all following me? Like she can run off. She can get hit by a car. She could um, chase a skunk, not that we have those here or that would ever happen to one of my dogs. But like all of these components, like the leash is there for her safety and the leash is there to connect her to me and I'm taking care of her when Abby's at school. Um, And so this is this whole process for her and she's got to learn it, but it's hard, right? Um, And and today, like we're going to talk a lot about tethers and connections Right, and, and I'm going to keep my leash here, uh, and, and we're going to talk about this because we're finishing up um, the poem in Ecclesiastes. Last time we're going to talk about this poem. It's been like two months, I know, um, and we're talking about this idea of relationships and connections that last forever. Like how God designed us as people is to be connected to each other. And this poem, like the first uh, eight verse or the first, yeah, eight-ish verses – Talk about overwork, working so much that you abandon your family, that you abandon your relationships, like choosing things that damage your life um, and separate you and absorb all of your time, talent, and treasure uh, and pull you away from who God meant you to be. Solomon goes from there to talking about what it means to live a life like like enjoying God's gifts. And part of that is walking with him, but part of it is walking with the people around us. And that's the second half of this poem. The first half is work, and then there's a hinge verse, which is two are better than one because they get better return for their work. I know I've repeated this a million times, but there's sometimes new people and whatnot. Um, And what it means by they get better return for their labor isn't just that they get more done. It's that they – life is better. You know, like when you work with people who are awesome, life is better. When you go home and you're friends with your wife or your husband or your kids or whatever, life is better. We are designed to be in relationship. So then he has three examples here. If either of them falls down, one can help the other. But pity the man, or pity anyone who falls down and has no one to pick them up. Also, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We often take this text. We see it most often applied to marriage, Right? I mean, like probably half the married people in this room had this read at their marriage or their wedding ceremony. It's actually not a text about marriage at all. Like marriage is a part of it in as much as every relationship is a part of it. Now, we started on 12 last week. I cut the 12 in half because I, I couldn't do it all um, because otherwise we would have gone much longer than we actually did. So this idea of one, two, three, right? One may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Um, there are two ways of looking at this verse. Last week we looked at the one, two, three, where it's one by himself, two together, or two in God, right? Which is sort of that wedding interpretation. 
um, or, or what have you, like, or, or a large group together is stronger. Um, and it's all about this defense thing, right? Like you can defend yourselves better. Um, that is one way of reading the text. The other way, which is what we're going to look at today, um, I think actually this is one of those rare instances where both readings are valid. All right? Both are correct. You can't divide them. Uh, that is my take. That is my opinion. The one I'm presenting today is the far less common discussion, but follow me here. A chord of three uh, strands is actually separate. And it is the line that ties the whole poem together. Did you catch the pun? I underlined it so you would get the pun. Uh, it ties the whole things together because we have three examples of qualities in relationships, right? And then the third example there is one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And it is a play on words that three strands is not quickly broken, this cord, but it is also pointing back and saying, listen, a relationship that's composed of these three qualities is, is strong. It's not just strong, it's really strong. So if we look at it in terms of like, because we looked at sort of the literal read, but there's probably like a great deal of poetic license being taken in regard to life. It would be a relationship that you have with other folks where accountability like your, your accountability, the comfort of the other person and protecting them, where these are primary, that is a strong relationship, right? I mean, are you all following me? This is a pretty, pretty simple idea. Um, there are different aspects of friendships and relationships, um, you know, and, and this is the three-chord strand of friendship. Now, if we take that and we apply it to the church or the body of Christ, like we look at each of these examples over the last three sermons, we've looked at these versions of this where, like, these are really about, like, like in a big way, we see Christ in these things. Christ is concerned with our soul. He is concerned with our heart. And he's concerned with our self that we would be saved. We, as brothers in Christ, as sisters in Christ, we are concerned about each other's souls, about each other's hearts and our comforts and our emotions, and, and about ourselves, right? Like, that, or about their self, that they wouldn't be, like, wiped out or killed or whatever. I mean, like... Like to protect them. And this is what the church, the body of Christ, is designed to be connected by. And so all of us are designed to be connected to Jesus by this kind of Jesus is concerned about these aspects of me. But then beyond that, beyond that, we're designed to have relationship and connection between each other. Um, and this is what makes the church, the body of Christ, work. Um, is everybody following this simple concept, right? Um, now, we're going to jump on to the next part. Well, how do you do that? Well, you do it by imitating Christ, right? And that's part of, you know, every point of the way we've talked about this, that Jesus embodies these. We imitate Christ and love the way he loved, and that changes our relationships. Um, Jesus talks about, uh, in Matthew 25, he talks about the second coming. He says, you know, on that day, he'll, I'll come and I'll divide the sheep and the goats. And I'll say to the sheep, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was in prison, you came and visited me and all that other stuff. And the, they say, well, wait a minute, when did we do that? And he responds, whenever you did this for the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. We often take this verse and apply it to everybody in the world who's poor or in prison or whatever. That's not illegitimate. But the phrase, the least of these, my brothers, indicates that it is us. And so when we love each other, 
the way we love Christ, we demonstrate that we know Christ. We demonstrate that we are walking in him. When we willingly lay our lives down for each other, like Christ died and took our sins on himself, and we're forgiven because he died for us, when we're willing to lay down our lives for each other, that is love. That is the kind of love that Jesus demonstrates. It's the kind of love that you see in the early church when they're like, oh, I have property and you're starving. I'll sell my property and feed you. Or, oh, you know, we have this. We'll hold it in common and we'll take care of each other. Like that is what they were talking about. This is the love of Christ spread out between people in all relationships. Now I'm going to hit pause here for half a second. Could you imagine if you had friends like this? Actually, real quick, who's got friends like this? We got a few hands, right? People who would do anything for you. People who would um, wash your feet, which not literally, in the instance of that at the Last Supper, this is Christ performing like the most humiliating task that for Jews, if you did it, you were demonstrating utter devotion and willingness to serve the other person. It's the sort of thing a, a wife who is desperately in love with her husband would do. Not every wife. It was a rare thing, but, but it's something that might happen. It's a show of incredible, like self-humiliating love. And that's what Christ did for his disciples. And he says, hey, do the same thing. He said that people are to know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. We're to love one another so much that people look at, him, at us and say, if that's what Jesus looks like, I want that. Is it Gandhi who said, I love your Christ, but I don't like you Christians? You know, and sometimes it's easy to fall into that, where we become about ourselves. But if we follow Christ in this way, we imitate him and we become something more. Um, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. This is another one that is often used in weddings, and it's not illegitimate to use it in a wedding, but it's not really about wedding love. Um, the first half of this, uh, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, these are, this is a significant list because Paul is doing this at the tail end of a long discussion about which spiritual gifts are best. Because you've got some guys in this church who are saying, I can prophesy. And other guys who are like, well, I speak in tongues. And other guys are like, well, I perform miracles. And they start arguing about who has the best spiritual gift. And Paul is like, shut up all of you, none of them. Loving the guys around you is the spiritual gift to have. If you don't have this, you are wasting your time. Now, we don't talk much about speaking in tongues and all that today, but I've been going to this church for 35 years. Actually, 10. Sorry, 10. I have shown up to every bake sale and service opportunity that we've ever had. Do you know how much I give? Do you know... Dot, 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 right? You can do all of the work, but if you have not love, you gain nothing. Because that connection between us is what we're designed to be. To be in Christ, to walk in Christ, is to have relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ that are this threefold cord. Um, and it's not a small deal. 
Well, what does that look like in a practical sense? Well, it's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't brag. It does not, it's not arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It doesn't resent other people. It doesn't rejoice in wicked behavior. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, how many of you guys can point and say, I have those relationships? It's a hard one, isn't it? How many of you guys would give one of your fingers for like friends like that? I would love to have people who are my friends like that. People who love me that way. People who I love that way. Um, that cord, um, that love is what the church is about. It is about being connected in Christ. Love does not exist in a vacuum. It requires a target. And you can say, oh, I am all about the love of Jesus. If you don't love other people in the love of Jesus, guess what? You don't. You love other people or love is just a warm and squishy feeling inside. If you read Paul's list, it's a way of treating other people. It's a way of acting. Jesus' command for the church is that we love each other in this way, this, this cord that connects us. Um, it indicates how the church should be in relationship with each other. We're to share the love of Christ between us. And he provides that example through Jesus, like his life is that example of what it means to love people. And he does it first. He does it first, like Paul said, when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, when we were wicked, Christ died for us. This is what love is. And so you might look around you and say, yeah, I'll treat other people that way as soon as they start it. Nope. Jesus loved us that way before we deserved it, before we earned it. In fact, we never deserved it. It was a gift before we were his friend, before we were redeemed. When we were dead spiritually, he loved us that way. And it's amazing. It's actually for me when I became a Christian, that was the most beautiful, wonderful message I ever heard was that God loves me no matter how big of a screw up and loser I was. Isn't that incredible? So how do you do this? Because it sounds darn near impossible. Anyone feel that way? How am I supposed to love people selflessly? Well, this is a thing that happens naturally. Like, it is a part of following Christ. It is a thing that grows out of us in the same way as planting seeds in the ground grows into a tree and hopefully eventually, um, you know, strawberry bushes, vines. What do burritos go on? I, <laughs> hopefully it grows into something that bears fruit, Right. Christ in us grows into something else. When our old man dies, when the old Eric is dead through, like, me believing in Christ, he is dead. New Eric is born through the waters of baptism and through the Holy Spirit and all this other stuff, right? I come into the likeness of Christ and I evolve, I grow, I change, I shed my skin and become more and more like Jesus. And then the fruit of the Spirit grows out of me. That love people who are awful... That's a product of the Holy Spirit. That's a product of, like, Christ growing in me. That's that uh, Galatians, right? The, the fruit of the Spirit. Can anybody recite them? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there are no laws. And what he's talking about is this idea that fruit, like, you don't try real hard to grow fruit, right? I tried real hard to grow a beard, and this is what I got. Like, you can't try hard to grow hair. I mean, that's just not how it works. It happens naturally. Um, and our spiritual change happens naturally. And so there's an element of it that happens like sort of whether or, whether or not like you're trying. However, that does not mean we don't try. 
Is everybody with me? Because there's a part of it that is on us. And Jesus teaches us how to do this. He demonstrates it in his like ministry on earth. Uh, Paul demonstrates it. It is taught to us. We find a teacher, somebody like a rabbi in the ancient world, right? And you share your life with him. You follow him and you learn how to be something better. We do this. Our kids do this naturally, right? My kids, I, it is the scariest moment in the world when... My son stands up, opens his mouth, and my words come out. Right? It is a scary thing because they are watching me and they are imitating me. My daughter's facial expressions are my wife. It is scary. Not because my wife is scary, but because it's realizing, like, all they have to do is share life with us and they become us. Um, And so we find a model And Christ is that model. We're told to imitate Christ. We're told to follow Christ. We're told to take his teachings on. And he is our teacher, but we receive that teaching through other people. For Jesus, it was the disciples, and they learned directly from Jesus himself. He said, follow me, and they followed him. And they went everywhere for three years. He didn't teach classes. They didn't go to seminary. There wasn't books that they had to buy or anything. They followed him. He talked. They listened. They asked questions. He healed people. Then they asked more questions. Then they said stupid things, and they got corrected and a whole bunch of other stuff. But it changed them. Um, I was reading recently about a woman who uh, was a potter, right, like a person who makes pottery, right? And that this potter, um, she wanted to study under a Japanese master. And she found a program where she could go to Japan and study under a master, like a world-class artist. And it was like a six-year program, but she couldn't afford it. And so she could could only afford to go for six months. And she went for six months. And during that six months, she did not walk into his studio a single time. She did not sweep in there. She didn't touch clay. She got nowhere near art. She didn't watch him work. There was nothing that she got to do related to making pots. To say that very carefully in this day and age. Um, But... Like halfway through, she was mad about the whole thing. And I kind of would be too, right? Like she went, the only thing she did was housework. She, the guy taught her how to clean the house and inspected her work when she was done. And that's all she did for six months. She paid to be a maid. And halfway through, she's talking to the guy's wife and she says, this is kind of wrong. All I'm doing is housework. I'm not learning anything. And the wife looked at her and said, you came to us like a full-grown tree We have to cut off the big branches so that the good growth can take place. And she kind of shrugged it off and thought that's ridiculous and went home. And the first time in six months that she sat down at her wheel and she started working, she realized that she had learned a great deal because how she handled the clay was different. In the process of learning to clean the guy's house, she learned how to be patient and observant in new ways. Learned how to experience the world around her in different ways. Learned how to think differently. And like when she pulled out her first pieces after her six-month like, like course of house cleaning, she realized that she'd become infinitely better than she was before. And she hadn't noticed. We as believers, like this is actually how rabbis did it. It's how everybody did it in ancient Israel. But if you followed a rabbi, you did his housework. You lived with him, and you made his meals, and he taught you how to do it. And if you screwed up, he did it with you. And if you got in debt, a lot of times rabbis, if their students screwed up and got in debt, the rabbi would take on the debt. Or if they got like punished for something, the rabbi would take the punishment with them. Because the idea was the rabbi was showing them how to endure these things in a way that a, that a teacher would. 
And Christ did that with his disciples. He went everywhere with them. He slept in places they slept. He worked with them. He, he was with them, and they imitated him. And they learned from him, and they became like him. This is what we're called to do. We're called to attach to other brothers and sisters. Actually, rabbi would be up, right? Our teacher would be up, right? I've got pastors I talk to. Uh, Barney Fultz is a friend of mine. He's also a friend of TJ's. I call him sometimes once a week when I'm having a rough time. I got three or four other pastors I call. I got friends that I reach out to who are very mature and I'm impressed by. I, and I want to be like them. When I meet somebody who knows something, I ask them questions and I follow them around. I make a pest of myself so I can learn as much as I can because I want to learn stuff. And you learn by finding people who are experts and following them around. Um, this is the idea behind finding somebody to teach you. This is why Paul tells young women to find older women and to like share life with them and learn how to be a godly woman, right? This is why um, we attach ourselves to other believers and we just spend time with them. The best teaching you will ever receive is by sharing your time and energy and conversation and thoughts with somebody who is spiritually mature and can give you direction. Um, this is the first method of teaching that we are given. Um, Paul said, this is in Corinthians, they're talking about eating Actually, do you eat meat sacrificed to idols? And Paul says, eat whatever you want, but if you find out it's sacrificed to idols, or if it's possible that you're eating this food makes other people stumble in their faith, don't eat it, because it's more important that you are a person who helps younger believers grow in maturity than anything else. It would be better to be a vegetarian for the rest of your life. And all the Montanans go, oh. it would be better to be a vegetarian than to cause a brother to stumble in his faith. That's pretty bad, isn't it? He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Um, I think universal, not just us. Uh, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of others, so that, but that of many so that they may be saved. Be imitators of Christ as I, or be imitators of me as I'm an imitator of Christ. Paul is imitating Christ in these actions because he is becoming like them to reach them for the gospel. Um, now, think about this for half a second. Uh, what Paul is doing in that situation is he's becoming like Jesus because Jesus is, I mean, he's God, right? Like from the beginning of before time, Angels surrounded him and sang to his glory, and then one day he was born as a person. Like, that is the ultimate step. I will be like you to save you, right? And Paul is saying, this is what I'm doing. You do it too, because we are designed as followers of Christ to learn from the people around us. Anybody have a person in their life that they follow and watch, and they're learning to be like Jesus from? I see one, two, couple. It's rare. How about this? Does anybody ever say, I, well, we'll get to that. All right. So then how else do we do this? So we find somebody to follow around and learn from. I've been beating that drum for months. Haven't I? Anybody sick of it? <laughs> the second thing we do is we find a companion that is a typo, not a company. We find a companion for, for the road kind of thing. This is a partner or a second person or a friend that we walk with, we study with, and we grow with. I have a few people that are like this in my life, people who I, John's one of them. I'll call John and say, John, I'm struggling with this verse. What do you think? And, you know, and we talk back and forth and argue a little bit, and I come away from it better. 
Um, John comes away from it frustrated, I think. Um, the Jews called this Havram, and that is a transliteration. It's probably pronounced Havarin. I just assume everything in Hebrew is clearing your throat. Um, if you Google it, you will find, yeah, you've got to try about ten different spellings. Um, but this is a practice that started before Christ was born. It was extremely popular during the time of Christ. And what you would do is you would pair people up, and their job as students under a teacher was to have conversations. And so a rabbi would throw out a lesson or a scripture verse, and then they would study it independently, and then they would come together and argue about it and share their thoughts and, you know, and push and pull and debate and everything else, and they would grow by having conversations. Most of you guys had this in college or in school. Anybody ever sit down with somebody who helped you learn science or math? But you've got to find somebody who knows math. My daughter said that this week. They were just as helping her with homework early in the morning, math homework. And she's like, well, go ask your dad. And Abby said, I barely understand this. How is dad going to help me? Because Abby understands little kid math better than I do. And she does, right? I know pastor math, and that's it. And it's mostly exaggerating. Um, we, as followers of Christ, this is... Part of how, like, Christ taught, like, he paired his disciples up. We'll get to that in a second. And they would attach to each other, and they would talk. Any of you all ever say, I wish I read my Bible more. I wish I prayed in the morning more. I wish I dot, dot, dot. Anybody? All right, I'm going to, both hands. This is a person who fills three roles for you. If you fall down, they help you back up. Right? Meaning accountability. Hey, how's your reading going? I read it. Did you? Let's talk about it. They concern over your heart and your well-being, and they show you love, and they are Jesus to you, meaning they are concerned about your heart. And finally, if they see you fall into error or struggle, they help you get back on the right track. They defend you. Man, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Anybody have friends like that in your life? Anybody wish you did? In Mark 6, Jesus sends out his disciples. This is the 12, not the 72. And he calls the 12 and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. So he sends them out with nothing except each other. Why would he do that? Well, number one, because it's an incredibly common practice at the time, and like every rabbi did it. Number two, they are together, meaning they've got somebody to encourage them. They've got somebody to watch in case they fall, right? This sounds familiar, doesn't it? They've got somebody to back them up when it comes time to testify, because like for Jews, you had to have two testimony, two people testifying for a thing to be true. And so you've got somebody to back you up as you speak. They use the buddy system, no more flying solo. Um, the idea here is that this connection, again, is what we're designed to have. It's how we grow. It's how we're meant to grow. But our culture is the opposite, right? I yell at Jeremy at least once a week to stop calling me and just send a text message. This phone call could have been a text message. Anybody else feel that way sometimes? And I had a horrible time learning a lesson this week because Adam doesn't have a cell phone. I almost bought him a pager. 
<laughs> I really did. I looked at them, and I was like, I'm going to get Adam a pager so I don't have to call him all the time. And he made the point, hey, your last sermon, it seemed like we should be talking to each other anyway more. And so I got to call Adam sometimes and talk about scripture or talk about spiritual stuff or talk about whatever. And it makes me grow because I talk to people, talking to people, spending time with each other, being connected together is huge. But we have built an entire world around not having to talk to each other, around not having to go to the store, around not having to have people over, around dot, dot, dot. It is the opposite of the way the church is supposed to operate. And we will always flounder and struggle as long as that is the case. We are designed to be connected. Um, in, I didn't even write down the date. This would have been during, uh, this is John Fawcett is the name of the fellow. He was an English preacher. He was actually converted under, uh, during the first great awakening by the Calvinist English preacher. What's his name? No, the other one. All right. So he was converted during the First Great Awakening. He was a Baptist, weirdly enough, um, in England, and he became a pastor at 25, and he went, and he couldn't find a church to hire him. And he eventually moved to the town of Waynesgate, England. We've all heard of it. Nobody's heard of it because it's nowhere. It was a very poor, very small, very rural community, and there was really not much of a church there. And so he went door-to-door talking to people and making friends and connecting to the community. And he worked there, and the church grew because he built relationships. And after a number of years, it was time for Fawcett, John Fawcett and his wife to leave because they were offered a job at a huge church in London with an enormous salary and everything else. And when he said, well, you know, an enormous salary, it must be God. Um, and so he accepted the job, and they were getting ready to move. And he and his wife sold off all their big furniture, and they took everything else, and they put it in a cart, and they were going to leave. And the entire church showed up to see them off. And when they looked at them, they realized how much they were going to leave behind. And the wife turned to the husband and said, I don't know what to do. I don't think I can do this. And the husband said, you're right. We have to stay here. Like, these people are, are, are too much to leave. And a lot of them were illiterate, and a lot of them were dirty and poor and everything else but the love that they had that connection that interconnection that three strand cord it's the thing that makes life worth living it's the thing that makes the body of christ work and it's the thing that i think most people desire more than anything it's why facebook is popular even though it's horrible and everybody gets mad when they use it because you can talk to people but you're not talking to people there's no connection people are starving for relationships John Fawcett went on to write a hymn because at the time it was a very common thing. Ministers would write songs for after church every Sunday, like for after the sermon, and they would sing them. I'm not going to sing. (laughs) But John wrote, blessed be the tie that binds. Because the tie, that cord that connects us as believers, we may fight with it. We may get tangled up in it. We may resist the idea of having to talk to someone about the scriptures or tell someone about our lives. But that tie helps us grow in Christ. We're going to close with that song one more time, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. Uh, TJ learned it for me for this week, and I really appreciate it. And as we're listening to this, I want you to think, and I want you to ask yourself, do I have that? Do I have somebody that has a cord running between me and them, or am I 
Am I wandering around in the neighborhood by myself? Do I wander off because nobody's holding me accountable? Do I get lost or fall asleep and do I abandon my spiritual disciplines? Do I do the work? Do I love in general but nobody in particular because I got no ties? Ask yourself if you have the ties that bind, if you have the things that make life worth living as a believer. And I think we're going to do two verses. Is that okay? Okay. And I'll say something between them. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers. Our fears and hopes are one, our comforts and our cares. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. If you are uh, one of my folks sitting here listening and, and I've been poking you or stepping on your feet all morning, I have a challenge for you. We're going to sing one more verse. If you are a person who needs a haverum or needs somebody holding, you know, at the top of the chain teaching you stuff, or you need somebody just to talk to, you know, once a week and help you read the scriptures or help you figure stuff out or help you wrestle with being angry or bitter or or just to share joy with. Or if you're somebody who's got it all together and you think, man, I'm not helping anyone else grow. Because there are a lot of people who really know their stuff and they're like, well, I don't need anything from anyone. Guess what? If you're not sharing it with somebody, you need something from someone. You need to share it. Stand up if you need it and we will figure out who you are and we'll connect you with someone. I want, like we baptize people to to comment publicly, I belong to Jesus. Old Eric died, new Eric is here. If you're a person who wants to be connected, wants that cord, wants to develop those relationships, stand up and we'll find you someone. If you're online and you need that, send me a message and I will figure it out. Um, I will visit with people. I got two guys who are as good as seminary trained at this point. I got lots of folks who have expressed a desire for these kinds of relationships. And we just we need to connect people one-on-one, just make phone calls. Oh, the kindred heart, it's like heaven above, it's like heaven above. Oh, the kindred heart, it's like heaven above, it's like heaven Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love, oh yes. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. We're going to close in prayer, and uh, next week we're going to do Mark 2, so we'll be out of Ecclesiastes more or less. 
Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us. I pray that those of us who uh, um, need connection and need relationship and need to, to grow in you and walk in you, and, and those who are online who aren't with us today, um, that they would uh, reach out, that we would figure out ways to, to help each other grow and to be together in this. Um, pray that you would pierce our hearts and help us to grow to be like you every day. In Christ's name, amen.